This is the Teacher Mindset Coach Podcast, episode number 12. Hey, teachers, welcome to the podcast where we do the hard work to uplevel ourselves and have fun along the way. I'm your host, Ashley Wolf, and I'm here to help you rock your world with mindset stories, strategies, and skills that you've probably never been taught before. Let's do the damn thing. Today, we are going to talk about how dreaming for a bigger, more full life is great and all, but we have to accept and allow for the discomfort of that growth. So many awesome metaphors come to mind when I think of the discomfort of growth. A caterpillar creating a chrysalis, transforming into an unrecognizable goo, then miraculously emerging as an entirely different creature. A baby falling down countless times, bumping their knees, elbows, backs, noggins, and chins, all in the name of strengthening their bodies to learn how to walk upright. A veteran teacher walking away from a classroom she's taught at for years in order to uplevel her career in a new position. A kindergarten student feeling the fear of uncertainty as they walk into a new school building and a new classroom all in the same hour as having to leave their loved ones for an entire day. Think of the emotions that those students feel during this life-changing event of going to school for the first time. No wonder there are tears and running away and staying frozen in place and just arguing with reality. (laughs) And no wonder they think that kindergarten is like over for the year when they get back home after day one. It's emotionally exhausting having to process all of that. But what I've noticed and learned about myself and about humans in general is that we usually want to avoid negative emotions at all costs. And the cost to denying ourselves feeling negative emotions is denying ourselves actually of half of the human experience. The dichotomy of being human is feeling both good and bad. The point is to have one to define the other. Without the positive, we wouldn't know the negative. Without the definition of hate, for example, we wouldn't have the definition of love because they're opposites. Without work, we wouldn't have rest. Without the possibility of death, we really wouldn't have the possibility of life. Essentially, the positive stuff that we might say we want all the time, like happiness, would potentially turn poisonous if that was the only component to our emotional vocabulary. And I think society is slowly coming to the realization that expectations of happy all the time is actually abnormal and can be toxic. As an example, my mother passed away in September of 2021. I didn't want to be happy about that, so I wasn't. I was devastated. And at times, that devastation still hits me. My devastation came from the thoughts that I was having about her death and about her life as I reflected back on how much my mother meant to me. And the thing that really holds my sanity in place is I can still think about her now in the present. I can still have great feelings when I think about her. 
And I know that she's still with me. And I still kind of (laughs) hold some conversations with her sometimes in my head. Getting back to feeling happy wasn't something that I pressured myself to do when my mom was sick and then after her death and allowing myself not to be on a timeline or like holding myself to this five or six stages of grief. Like, oh, I'm going through this stage of grief. I didn't even define it that way for myself. It's been one of the most freeing things that I could give myself as I process my grief. In other words, I don't care what it looks like. I don't care if I'm on step four of the five steps of grief. I'm just grieving my mom. I'm not running away from the pain of losing my mom. I'm opening up to it fully with the understanding that the depth of my despair in losing my mom is a direct connection for me to the depth of the love that I feel for her. I also recognize that this experience of losing a parent is part of my growth as much as sometimes I don't want to admit it. And it's one of the most uncomfortable things that I have ever done in my life. And I do it again because I know that it means that I'm living my life to the fullest. My mom lived a full animated conscious life. And in her passing, I was there 100% for every moment. I'm not afraid of the uncomfortable memories because I know that I was present and aware of it all. I wasn't hiding from my fear when I realized that she was dying. I wasn't denying myself the sadness or pushing it away as if it was the enemy. And I feel like this part of my life's story is preparing me for more, more discomfort and pain. Yes, but also more capacity to love, to delight in, and to be inspired by my own life and the people in it. No matter how many times I fail, I can still end up delighting in my own life. That's one of my byproducts for me. And I would love it for you the byproducts of dreaming so big and acting on it to see it through even when it's scary as hell. But so many of us don't dream big enough. Why? We don't want to feel uncomfortable. (laughs) The neural pathways in the brain that lead to long-lasting improvements in our life take time, practice, and learning from failures that bring up our most repressed emotions such as fear. The process of truly feeling an emotion in a way that is deep, wide, and over time will actually be what sets us free from being afraid of it, a victim to it, or paralyzed by it. Once we're brave enough to uncover the fear of failure instead of pushing it away, we will be one step closer to living a fuller life on purpose because we are mightier than the feelings that keep us married to inaction and staying stagnant. We learn to take action anyway, even if rejection might happen, even if feeling insecure might happen, because we know we will always keep ourselves safe in the most important ways like physical safety, spiritual safety, and cognitive safety. In going after a bigger life with more of what we want, I challenge you to expand the limits of what you think emotional safety is. Now hear me out. 
I've talked before about emotions and feelings as physical vibrations in our body that stem from our thoughts. So if an emotion is a physical vibration that may be uncomfortable, but it doesn't harm us, we know we will survive it, even though we may not like the experience. I want to offer you a new definition of emotional safety. Perhaps emotional safety, especially for adults who are ready to experience more of their life, means that we have the understanding that negative emotions won't hurt us. In other words, we keep living a bigger life. And in the real estate world, we keep taking bigger risks because we know we can feel any feeling under the sun and survive it. Not only will we survive it, but the better we get at feeling discomfort in the name of growth, the more we thrive in our life experience. We can even practice this with physical sensations, which may be an easier task to complete. Years ago, I was reading a gardening book and the author was describing her daily gardening routine. She was talking about going outside to water her plants in the early morning before the sun came up. And she would put on her bathrobe and flip-flops and walk out in the crisp 40-degree weather and get to watering her plants. What struck me as I was reading this account was when she explained that she used to think that the cold air would hurt her. And then she had to convince herself that she wanted to tend to her garden so much so that she would brave the chilly conditions to get it done fast. She even put a challenge out to her readers as part of the gardening experience. Like the challenge was get out in the cold without being so whiny about it. Take care of your plants and know that the cold air won't kill you. Oddly enough, even though it's been over 15 years since I've even read that book, and I probably don't even have it anymore, I still challenge myself on cold mornings to get out there without being a whiny little bitch and get done what needs to get done, whether it's taking the trash. In fact, I just completed this challenge by walking across my huge backyard to let my chickens out to free range. It was about 47 degrees, and I was in a t-shirt and pajama pants and flip-flops, like my uniform. <laughs> and if you could have heard the things I was telling myself in my head, it would have sounded something like, I'm not going to die. I can totally handle the cold. It's just a physical sensation on my skin. Oh, I feel my feet. What an interesting feeling. Sounds nerdy, but I've practiced this for so long. And it's still something I have to get mentally prepared for stepping out into the kind of cold. <laughs> I know some of y'all are probably like 47 degrees, that's warm. <laughs> or 47 degrees, that's lovely. <laughs> but we're in Texas. Normally it's, um, you know, like 147. But when I'm in it, like when I'm in this talking myself through a feeling of cold on my skin, I feel the cold breeze as I walk towards a chicken coop. I realize in that moment that it's not so bad after all. And my brain was just being dramatic for a time. And now it's all good. I'm doing what I want, when I want, and where I want. I also remind myself that I created and fulfilled my dream of owning backyard chickens. And this routine of walking to the, into the cold to open up the doors of the coop is part of the how of living my dream. And I'm living it right now in this moment, and it's awesome. 
So maybe you can create a healthy little challenge for yourself with physical sensations that you know aren't your favorite, but you can endure it for a short time and see how well you survived. It's a test and a strengthening of your perseverance. I'm not saying to put yourself through any pain, just something that makes your brain a bit whiny, but you know you can keep going to get through it and conquer what excuses come up to complete a small task might be pretty interesting. If you can do this with a physical sensation, you can certainly do this with an emotion, a feeling. Besides, discomfort will be the way we get closer to achieving our dreams and moving on to the next. Discomfort, not necessarily pain. So why do we have these emotions that we've labeled as negative anyway? I found an article on positivepsychology.com addressing the need for both positive and negative emotions. Two of the top reasons for needing negative emotions like fear is number one, so we have a way of identifying positive emotions, which are the opposite of negative ones. And number two, so we can be prompted to respond or act in some way that is actually helpful to our survival. And they give us an example that Fear helps prompt us to act in order to save ourselves. We automatically jump when we hear a loud noise to get out of the way. We may run if someone scares us in a dark alley, or we never put ourselves out there for fear of rejection of the group because we are social creatures whose ancestors depended on their tribes, their families, their groups to live another day, literally. I don't know about you. But most of these scenarios of us feeling fear as a protective mechanism just aren't true in this day and age. We are not hunters and gatherers anymore, which has its own set of pros and cons, I think. So we don't need to fear starvation necessarily. We have more social groups than we can count on one hand because between home life and work life and in-person social groups and online social groups, there are plenty. We're not going to die because of being left in the field by the herd. So we don't need to fear rejection on a logical level. We won't die from it like our long lost ancestors may have. But we fear rejection anyway. So if you want to read more of this article, the link is in the show notes. Because of what we've most likely been taught all our lives, we do our best to avoid, resist, or deny ourselves the experience of the feelings that we categorize as bad. (laughs) Why would we make ourselves feel fear on purpose? That's insane. Why on earth would we set ourselves up to fail at something by just trying it without planning it out first? That's preposterous. (laughs) As teachers, we live this reality every day. We plan, we present, Our plan almost always changes in the moments when we're teaching. Things come up during the day that we don't plan for, and we have to alter our actions in the moment because we're just awesome like that. Those kids have brains of their own and require a human teacher with a brain to be in tune with their needs at any given second while in our care. This example may sound so unexciting to a 20-year veteran teacher, but intimidating to a first-year teacher. Why is the same scenario potentially so different? And the scenario I'm speaking of is 
um, you know, when you plan something and nothing goes the way you've planned. One reason I can come up with is that the veteran teacher believes a certain thought about it that serves them as an educator, such as, yes, that kind of stuff happens, interruptions happen, things change in the middle of my lesson, and I just roll with it. Most of the time, a veteran teacher can think this, when a lesson goes off course, it's still just as good for the kids, if not better. If I'm to think back to my own first year of teaching kindergarten, I had thoughts that sounded super dramatic when a lesson went off course. Thoughts like, I hope the first grade teachers don't kill me when their students are behind. Or, I hope my boss doesn't come look at my lesson plans today. Or, the worst one, I'm just not a good teacher. None of those thoughts in the moment made me feel any better when my lesson went in a different direction. They were thoughts that, if I held on to them, would have probably sunk my career, especially the one where I'm telling myself I'm not a good teacher. If you're a new teacher, I'd like to offer you this. When you're feeling uncomfortable, in whatever form it might take, just know that there's a thought behind that feeling. It's not your lesson, the kids, a parent, or your boss. There's a thought in your brain prompting you to feel an emotion. If you can pay yourself the attention to find that thought, you'll discover how powerful you are in creating your emotions, and you'll be able to persevere through more than someone who believes that their feelings are caused by outside factors. If you have a few years under your belt teaching kids, What is a belief that you have when things don't go to plan in your classroom? What are some of the past experiences you remember where something went wrong, but it actually turned out right? And it turned out all right. (laughs) What did you learn about yourself, about teaching, and about the stress of planning for perfection that helped shed the light on why we are in education in the first place? When we go to school to become a teacher, we have a dream of what our career will look like. We have a goal for ourselves and the students that we haven't even met. We may logically understand that there will be challenging times, but we don't go out of our way to know the depth of our discomfort or all the different ways it will show up during the school year or even the span of our career. And when it does, when we feel overwhelmed, when we feel frustrated beyond belief, or when we feel intimidated in our teaching career, these discomforts, I believe, come about in order to teach us something about ourselves. An emotion is a teacher, whether it's comfortable or uncomfortable. And if we want to get out of our comfy cave, chrysalis, or cocoon, we have to turn into an unrecognizable version of ourselves the goo (laughs) inside the chrysalis, a new version of ourselves before we can emerge. So what are you dreaming about for yourself? What do you secretly want that you don't yet have? Think about something or someone that puts a smile on your face when you see yourself with it or with them. And once you know what you want or a goal you'd like to achieve, 
Think about the top feelings of discomfort that you'll have to feel in order to achieve it. For me, when I got certified as a life coach and I knew I wanted to help teachers, my top feelings that I knew I'd have to endure were the feelings of vulnerability and failure. If I wasn't feeling vulnerable, I wouldn't be putting myself out there and putting my work out there for teachers. See, I've done a lot of work and still have a lot of work to do when it comes to my thoughts about what other people think or say about me. Just in the last three years, I've had to let go of the idea that I can control what others think about me (laughs) by the way I act with them. It's a trap of people-pleasing to be people-pleased, and I work on it daily. So feeling vulnerable means to me that I put my true self out there to the public, like on this podcast, and other people's thoughts, feelings, words, and actions don't have any power to change my beliefs about myself and how I want to help teachers. Feeling failure on freaking purpose, (laughs) y'all, means that I try things like producing a podcast or starting a Facebook group or taking on weekly coaching clients without knowing truly how it will all work out in the end. I just try it with the openness to feeling the failure. It's just a sensation that I can handle. And when I'm really in tune with myself, I can learn from it. And the more feelings of discomfort I can practice feeling with the knowledge that I'll thrive from it, the more dreams I'll realize in my life and the bigger goals I'll create for myself. Discomfort paves the way to reaching your goals. It might be scary. You might feel like you want to run and hide. But if you're feeling that, you're actually on the right path. I hope this was helpful. Stay well, my friends. If you got something out of today's show, I invite you to subscribe so you never miss a future episode. I'd also love to see you in the Teacher Mindset Coach Facebook group so we can nerd out on mindset work as a community of badass teachers. And remember, you can always email me at coachwithwolf, W-O-L-F-E, at gmail.com. Now go be awesome. See you next time.